Hello, and welcome to Learn to Love, a show where we talk all about things you can do to build a better, stronger relationship. Our team is powered by passionate volunteers looking to bring forward the best of what they know to help you stay together. Love is hard, but it doesn't have to be. Our podcast, articles, and videos feature insights from the latest research on relationship psychology, intimacy, conflict resolution, parenting, and more. You don't need to go in blind and make the same mistakes as those around you. Check us out on our brand new website at learnlove.ca or listen on our podcast, the Learn to Love podcast. Thank you for joining us in our vision to create healthier relationships and stronger families. Hello and welcome back to this new episode on the Learn to Love podcast. I'm so excited to be welcoming you back to the show. Today we are going to continue our discussion on conflict resolution. We're going to learn some more tools that we can use to deal with conflict and I'm going to share with you an analogy that I think might totally change the way you think about anger and conflict. We're building on the ideas that we talked about in the last episode, all about conflict resolution. If you didn't listen to that episode yet, I recommend that you take a listen right now, because this episode is going to build on those topics that we, we mentioned in the last one. However, if you don't have time to listen to the last one, or whatever, you can still listen to this one. It will still be valuable to you. You can understand this on its own, but I just think that it's going to be a little bit more helpful if you listen to it after the last one on conflict resolution. Some other updates with our program. So we're working on some new blog posts. There are three posts on conflict resolution we're working on that are going to be submitted soon. We're also open for submission. So if there's something that you want to share with us that's important to you about building healthy and strong relationships, we'd love to see what you have to say. You can write for our website. Also, if you're interested in social media, we are looking for people to help manage our social media channels. We're really busy creating content for the show and doing research, and we're struggling to find time to to really focus on content and also do the social media optimization posting. If you want to get some experience in social media through creating um, designs for posts, through learning about the kind of content to, to include in social media, we can help train you from our experience. Also, if you're looking for some experiencing managing ads, like through Google AdSense or through um, Facebook ads to help get our brand message open to more people, you want to get some experience there, we'd love to have you volunteer for us. We can train you on some of the basics and some strategies that we use to do research um, into what's working on our show and all that. Um, so if, if you're interested in getting more involved with this show, you can check out our website, learnlove.ca. Uh, you can see our available positions there uh, under open positions. Um, it's, it says volunteer, and then you'll see open positions tab. 
or you can email us at contact at learnlove.ca. That's contact at learnlove.ca. And we'd love to hear your ideas and also your feedback on this show. Our best indication for how you like our content is what, what you have to say. So please let us know what you want to see on the show, what you like about the show, um, and more. I read everything that is submitted to us, and I can't wait to see what you have to say. All right. So getting into this episode, the idea here is that conflict is challenging and it's hard, but it doesn't have to be, it, it really doesn't have to be. We can prevent most fights before they even happen. If, remember we talked about in the last episode, we do three main things. The first thing is we facilitate connection. We build that emotional bank account. Anger often arises when there is a lack of connection because it's the easiest way to create a lot of emotion and not with not a lot of effort. It's like the most effective way to bring a huge amount of emotion. And if there's a lack of emotional exchange in the relationship, remember we need to connect. Anger is very often a byproduct, something that shows up to create that connection. Another thing that we talked about is mirror neurons and remembering that I'm angry equals I'm scared. So if somebody's angry, it very often means that they're scared, they're worried, or they're lonely, or they're sad or hurt. Anger is very, very often the most basic emotion and a mask for other emotions because it's activated the quickest and it's also the most socially acceptable. In a lot of workplaces or, or other areas, we learn that it's not okay to be sad or not okay to be hurt. Like we may think that sadness or hurt is a form of weakness, which is just not allowed and shouldn't be tolerated. But we're human. We all feel those emotions and we often end up showing them in anger because it's more socially acceptable to be angry with someone. Some people think that anger is a form of strength or, or dominance or something that shows that you're in control. But just remember, I'm angry almost always equals I'm scared. So what do we do if someone's angry? Well, we remember that they're probably scared and then we care for them as if they are scared by building that sense of safety. So what does that look like? We talked about the three main ways that people calm down. It's through holding them, rocking them, or like stroking them, you know, ask their permission first, and through assuring them that they're not alone, through showing empathy, saying something like, I'm with you, it's going to be okay, I'm here, I'm with you, I care, you're not alone. We also talked about mirror neurons. So mirror neurons are basically the way that we mirror what goes on around us. And it's a way that we learn um, as children and also throughout our life and a way that we come to understand emotions. So we talked all about them in the last episode. But just briefly to summarize, basically mirror neurons are neurons that copy what we see in somebody else. They try to replicate the same process that's going on in somebody else's head. And then the feeling that you get from that process occurring helps you understand 
what that is. So, for example, if somebody is sad, like they make a certain facial expression, our mirror neurons are going to mirror the same expressions that we see in the other person. And then we're going to feel sad from from that like f- event that th- those neurons activating and then that's gonna tell us that the person feels sad also for learning we can use them so like you watch somebody else do something your brain mirrors that inside the neurons are firing as if you're doing it and then when you actually do it it becomes a little bit easier because that that pathway already occurred in your brain neurons that wire together Sorry, neurons that fire together, wire together. So um, if we can have these cycles repeat themselves often enough through practice and through mirroring, they become easier. But why is this important? Because people often, you through mirror neurons, do what people around them are doing. So like if somebody's very angry, it's very common that you're going to become angry just through watching them be angry. That, that's so important. Like anger usually incites anger and it goes the other way around too. Care and kindness usually incites the same in somebody else. If you come from a place of care and sincerity and your face shows like a facial expression of deep care, the other person's neurons are going to mirror that same interaction and they're going to start to feel care and compassion too. This lesson is so important in everything that we do in our lives. We always want to model the behavior that we want to see in others. If you want to see care and compassion on the side of your partner, show it to them and their neurons will copy it very, very often to you. If people are being negative to us, they're not treating us so well. We can think about, although it's not entirely are always our faults, but we can definitely think about the role that we play if people are mirroring us and they're being negative to us, then we can ask ourselves, what are we doing to encourage this this mirroring or what are we contributing to this mirroring uh, in them? If they feel angry or tense, are we doing something that's leading those neurons firing to lead them to feel angry or tense? So just remember, there's this bit of neuroscience, it's a little bit complicated. We tried to um, present it in a simple form for the show, uh, but we're going to go into more detail on the blog with some infographics, learnlove.ca slash blog if you're interested in seeing more. But the really, really important takeaway is to just remember that people often mirror us, okay? And we mirror them too, but when we practice this and we become aware of it and we try to stay calm and focused because it takes a lot of attention and a lot of discipline but more just focus to get this right if someone's going to come to you with anger it takes a lot of work to mirror that compassion and care but by doing it you can kind of override the instinct okay the instinct anger response you can override instead of mirroring it by mirroring something else that care and then they will eventually like mirror it back to you okay model what you want to see the next thing that we talked about that's really really important in preventing the vast majority of fights is recognizing that most fights happen from a buildup of events over two weeks okay so 
For example, you really wanted to go out with your friends, but you felt guilty because your partner was upset, so you didn't go. And then something else happened and you couldn't go again. And now you're feeling distant from your friends and you feel like you don't have enough space and you start to feel suffocated and then you start to get stressed and things build up. And then two weeks later, you know, your partner says something that you don't like and you just explode at them and you say, I can't take this anymore. I'm so angry. I feel like you hate me. I can't live here. No, 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 no. I'm sure we can all relate to this. This is a classic buildup of events when we just hold things in and we don't let them out. They build up and they cause conflict. Now, that's why we have a term venting. I'm sure you've all heard venting. What is venting? It's like letting off steam. I'm sure you've heard this too. And people often refer to anger as explosion. So you can vent, you can let off steam to prevent the explosion from happening. How do you do this? By facilitating safe spaces for continual conversation with your partner. Through asking those questions that we talked about, like, honey, how am I doing with regards to your limits? How do you feel I'm treating you with respect to your limits? Do you feel like you have the space that you need to grow and to thrive? It's such an important question and we don't ask our partner, but by asking this question, we can create the opportunity for them to relate to us, to, to describe how they actually feel and to, to just vent, to, to get that out. It may feel strange at the beginning, but remember, starting is often always the hardest part. We act based on our habits, so if, if you're used to not asking this, eventually you can get used to it. It's going to become a habit, and it's going to become the instinctual response. We sometimes assume that these conversations where we just communicate how we feel will happen naturally, and that there's no need to actually you know, have an intention to go about and, and set aside time for them. But that's not the case. Unfortunately, um, the, the instinctual response for so many of us is to do the lazy thing, which is just not say anything, um, or just wait for things to build up because we don't want to be assertive. We don't want to say anything that might upset our partner. But guys, you have to say it respectfully because if you don't say anything, it's going to lead to conflict. And the conflict is going to do so much more damage, okay? So how do you do it respectfully? Again, you set aside that time and you make the expectations very clear so that your partner is on the same page as you. You don't want to have a level up over your partner or something. You want to teach them what you want to do and ask for their input too. So it could look something like this. You could say, honey... I was listening to the Learn to Love podcast, and I heard this strategy that's supposed to help us prevent the majority of fights. And they could be like, okay, tell me more. And then you say, well, I think that we should ask each other every day how we are doing, how we feel, and how satisfied we are with like spaces that we need, with how loved we feel, just so like we can communicate to each other more clear and feel safer and more comfortable just communicating these things. And they could be like, oh, um, okay, sure. So like, what do, what do you want to do? And then you can tell them, well, I want to ask 
you two questions every day, and I want you to feel comfortable asking the same questions to me. The first is, like, how do you feel with respect to your limits? How do you feel I'm treating you? And by this I mean, well, I hope that you guys would have by now gone through that limits exercise that we talked about in an earlier episode. Um, there are infographics about it on our blog if you want to see more tips. Um, essentially, in the limits exercise that you guys are doing, you're figuring out what you're unable to give up in the relationship, the things that you need to grow and thrive. So by, by establishing that and writing them down, it's so important that you do it. A lot of us think like, I'm not going to do this. It's too much work. But if you get divorced, I promise you getting divorced is going to take so much more work. And being unhappy is going to take so much of your energy. Okay. You're being stressed. You can prevent all of that if you just be proactive. Okay. It's a lot of work to put up fireproofing in a building on the very small chance that it's going to catch on fire, but we all do it anyway, because it's beneficial to be proactive, okay? So you go through the limits exercise, you identify what you need to thrive, you, you set very clear, consistent, well-advertised boundaries on what's okay and what's not okay. And then you, you make that list with your partner, and then what you're asking them every day is how they feel you're treating them with regards to that list that you made. The other thing that you do that you, uh, you want to ask them is, honey, how's your love tank? Your love tank. How love do you feel from me? This is so important because we think we know how to love our partners. We, we talked about this in the, the previous episode on how we share and receive love. We think we know what our partners need from us, want from us, and the way to show them love, but we don't. We Very often we don't. We have to actually ask. Until you ask, you don't know. And because we feel like we need to be perfect, we're too scared to ask. But guys, our partners are not expecting us to be perfect. They're expecting us just to make an effort and through ask, to learn, give them an opportunity to express themselves. Remember we said intimacy is sharing your worldview with your partner and them accepting it. All of this is creating intimacy. How's your love tank is how loved do you feel for me today? If they say something like three, okay, you ask them, what are some things I can do to help it get better? If they say, I don't know, then just say, okay, well, um, I love you and I care about you. And that's it. Remember, like, in, we, we talked about the idea that feelings glitch sometimes. Uh, we talk about this on our blog and that love is commitment in spite of feelings glitching sometimes. We're going to explore this in future episodes a little bit more. But just remember that they don't always have to be at 10, okay? But if they report low numbers to you over a long time, it's warning signs that fights are going to occur. Just by them telling you that number, it may already make them feel better because they don't feel alone. When we hold struggles in, they amplify within ourselves. But just by sharing to someone else that we're feeling down, by sharing to our partners, guys, like, Wait, we talked about teamwork already in a previous episode. This is supposed to be like the, the strongest team we have, the member that we support no matter what and that we try the hardest to support. The, these kind of questions help you support them and help you learn about them and create opportunities to help them because if you don't ask them, how left do you feel today? It makes it kind of hard for them to say, well, I, 
honestly, I don't feel very loved because maybe you'll get offended. Maybe they won't know how you'll react if they say that, so they just won't say it. But by creating these opportunities to communicate that, to say it, it's so empowering. It's like, it's like making a bridge. It's unlocking this really big part of your partner that's, that's hiding from you unless you make it easy for them to share it. And that's so beautiful because once you establish that it's okay to have these conversations and come from a place of curiosity instead of trying to get offended, your partner is going to feel comfortable telling you things, telling you that they're down, telling you that they're dissatisfied or that they don't feel loved. And that's okay because once you know that, knowledge is power. I believe that only what you don't know can hurt you. Okay? Knowledge is power. Knowing this will help you understand your partner more, know what to do more, okay, and give you early warning signs that conflict may arise if something is not done to address this soon. Because that love tank is going to go from 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, over months, guys, months, 3, 2, 1, and then when it starts to hit 1, 0, the fight is going to occur. But you want to catch it early, catch it at 6, catch it at 4, catch it at 3, to bring it up to 10. There's a saying that I heard before that goes, happy wife, happy life, okay? What I mean by it, I don't want anybody to think, you know, that we're talking about something sexist or gender roles. But what I mean by it, and the reason that I brought it up on the show is that we're often happy when our partners are happy. I'm sure you can agree to that. Like a very big part of your happiness is how happy your partner is because you you care about them. You want them to be happy. It's the same thing with your children. Like you want your children to be happy. You feel so happy when they're happy. It's like they're a part of you. And it's because you care. And that's why it's so important that that we do these things, we build these bridges and make these tools for our partners to communicate with us a little bit more so we can have what we need to make them happier. I mean, it's not our job to make them happy all the time, but it sure feels better when our partners are happy. It makes us feel better too. We often feel like those around us. If you live with somebody who is unhappy and kind of bitter, it's going to show on you. So by having these discussions, we can create the space, the opportunities to feel better, okay? It's, it's so nice. It's so beautiful. It's a really great feeling. There are a number of authors who talk about how important it is to our health to stress causes a lot of problems, unhappiness and loneliness, also a lot of problems, but by learning to communicate better, to be on the same page more, and to create those chances to stop fights before they happen, our stress is going to get a lot lower. It's good for our hearts. It's good for our minds and our bodies and sleep too. Now, I want to get into an analogy to help you think about anger a little bit differently. So now in the second half of this podcast, we're going to transition a little bit more. We're going to talk about this analogy that's going to help you understand anger. And you can use it not just in your relationship, but in any interaction that you have with somebody else, okay, related to anger or emotion. And after that, we're going to learn some more tools that we can use to deal with conflict before summarizing everything and wrapping up this episode. Let's begin with the analogy. I want you to think... I want you to think of yourself as a car, 
So we already talked about um, the relationship car in the, in the episode on how we share and receive love. We basically said there's you and your partner in a car, and whenever the relationship is going, it's using gas. And you got to get the right gas in the car, and you have to have the right nozzle, okay? Or else the gas is going to spill all over the floor, or you're going to put diesel in a gas engine, and it's just not going to work. And we talked about this also with stages of our relationship. So at the beginning, things are really good. Your car comes with a full tank of gas, and then that gas is going to start running, and you need to figure out ways to add gas to the tank, but you're going to struggle a little bit because it's going to be hard at the beginning. You're not going to know what to do. You're going to make mistakes, but you're going to keep trying. You're going to eventually figure it out through trial and error, through asking the right questions, through getting feedback, and then you're going to move from that struggle phase to working. Once you, you figured out how to do it, it's working now, okay? And you're going to get gas back in that tank. So that's what we would call the relationship cart. But this kind of car, it was first introduced to me by Mark Manson in his book, well, we're going to call it Everything is Pucked, Mark Manson, and he calls it the consciousness car. Now, when we were first introduced to it, um, and, and the idea with the car by Mark Manson, it was also readily talked about in uh, Daniel Goleman's book, Social Intelligence. And it's something that I was exposed to in a neuroscience course. Uh, so it's, it's just the analogy that's really interesting. And we've adapted it a little bit on the show. So I want you to think of your consciousness as a car. Okay? It's a new analogy. Forget, you know, remember the relationship car, but think about this as a different, a different car. So think of yourself as a car. Now, in this car, there are two things. There's the passenger and there is the driver. Now, one of these is your emotional brain, okay? Your, your feelings. What are feelings? Feelings come from emotions, and we call them feelings because we feel them in our body, and they're largely based on hormones. We talk a lot about this in our Udemy course, which is currently under development. It's going to be called Love Smarter, Not Harder. Okay, so feelings, and then the other the other thing in the car, the other thing is our logical brain. That's like our critical thinking and our reasoning. Okay, so the car has two, two things. It has the, the feeling part of the brain and the logical part of the brain. The feeling and the logical. One of them's the passenger. One of them is the driver. The feeling part of the brain consists of the amygdala and other parts of our brain associated with emotion, but primarily the amygdala and the rational, logical part of the brain is our, our frontal lobe, our neocortex, which is rational thought. So let's give some examples now to help us understand this concept a little bit more. So I'm going to tell you something, and you're going to guess which part of the brain you think it comes from, just to make sure that you understand, okay? So um, you are talking to somebody, and they speak to you with a tone of voice that kind of aggravates you and you start to feel pressure in your chest and you feel a bit tense and you're getting a little bit stressed. What part of the brain are we activating here? That would be the feeling. Remember, the feeling brain, any feelings that we have in our body. Next up is you are solving a problem at work. You're trying to think about... Um, what order to put the slides in your PowerPoint presentation, you're thinking about what kind of content would be the most clear to the consumer. 
to your client and you're really thinking hard about it, what part of your brain would that be? That would be the logical part, the thinking brain. Okay, so guys, this car is you. Wherever you go in life, this car is driving, okay? If you if you want to do something, the car is is like taking you there, okay? This car is you. You are this car, okay? What do you think is the driver? Who do you think is the driver? And who do you think is the passenger? Is the logical part of the brain the driver? Or is that the passenger? Is the feeling part of the brain the driver? Or is that the passenger? What I'm asking you here is really, really to think about who is running the show? So if you're like me, you'll probably say that the driver is the thinking brain. We do things primarily based on logic, reason, and like what makes sense. Now this is really, really, really interesting, okay? Think about it. Do we do things primarily based on logic and reason? Well, that was the assumption, we're going to call it the classic assumption, until about the 1920s, when advertisers realized that instead of saying the logical benefits of a product, they instead show people's emotions. They show you things like, it'll bring you new friends, it'll make you feel sexy, it'll make you feel um, strong and accepted they're going to get a lot more sales. Another thing that happened uh, around this, this era is that there were surgeries done for people who had um, brain, brain disorders like epilepsy, where they basically like deactivated the ability for the amygdala, the feeling part of the brain, to have much of an effect. And they thought that by doing this, they could help prevent seizures. But what happened with these people? They, they stopped feeling. They stopped having really strong emotions. And they ended up just staying on the couch and barely doing anything. Like the difference between going to their children's birthday party or watching TV or going to work or sleeping in suddenly became very difficult decisions for them. And they often ended up just sitting on the couch. People who had these kinds of surgeries. What is this all telling you? I'm trying to hint you, to push you on this journey to get to the answer of who's running the show. It is our feeling brain. Our feeling brain is the driver. And, and how, how do I, how, how is the way that you can think about this to be true in your life? Well, I can ask you, why, don't, why didn't you do that? Why didn't you do something? Why didn't you unload the dishwasher? Why didn't you clean the floor? Why didn't you come home on time? Very, very often, our answer to these questions is, I didn't feel like it. I didn't feel like it. Our feelings run the show. We act primarily based on our feelings. When we feel like eating a hamburger, we get a hamburger. When we feel like going for a walk, we go for a walk. When we feel like working out, we work out. So many of us who take on exercise programs but don't end up doing them, it's because we just honestly don't feel like it. We don't feel like it. Our feelings run the show. Now, why am I talking to you about this and this neuroscience in an episode about conflict resolution. 
It's because this understanding of the driver and the passenger is going to totally change your understanding of conflict. When somebody's angry, what do you think happens to this car? I'm going to tell you what happens. The driver, which is the feeling part of the brain, okay, the driver floors the accelerator and goes off the road. Floors it. They feel unsafe. They feel threatened. They floor the accelerator and the car is going off-road at 100 miles per hour, putting the person in danger, causing a whole bunch of other problems. Okay, the car is going off the road. Now, so many of us would, in a moment when we see somebody angry, try to connect on a logical level with them. We tell them things like, honey, like, like let's say they get angry and they say, I'm so angry, I feel like you hate me, like, I don't know what to do, it's just, I'm so stressed, I just want to pull out my hair, like, Ugh, I'm so angry, okay, this kind of intense, intense feelings. Okay, like that come alongside with anger. So what a lot of us do in these situations is we say, honey, that wouldn't be a good idea. Come on. Like, this doesn't make any sense. You're not making any sense. There's no logic to what you're saying. This is crazy. You're being crazy right now. Guys, oh, what's the problem here? I hope that you figured it out from the analogy. If the driver is the feeling brain and the driver is flooring the accelerator and going off the road, we need to deal with the driver before we start talking to the passenger. It's like you're trying to talk to the passenger of the car when the driver is taking it off the road, okay? No, like, like guys, if, if a car is flooring the accelerator in a state of panic and going off-road, you talk to the driver first. First, you get the car back on the road at a normal speed, and then if you want to have a conversation with the passenger, you have a conversation with the passenger. Remember, feelings drive the show. Why don't you work out? I don't feel like it. Why don't you do your assignment? I don't feel like it. Why don't you call me more? I don't feel like it. Our feelings are running the show. And when somebody is angry, their feelings are taking them off road. We need to always remember, first deal with the driver and then go to the passenger. This has been shown in a number of other studies too, like Daniel Goleman in his book, Emotional Intelligence, talks so much about this. He calls it, this moment of the driver going off-road, an emotional hijacking. What happens in an emotional hijacking is that our emotions get so strong that we can't even use the logical thinking parts of our brain. Why is this? Because the amygdala is closer to the brainstem than the frontal lobe, Okay. The connection path between the amygdala and the parts, your spine, the parts that regulate your body is much, much shorter. And it's going to override that signal from the logical part of your brain, which is like near where your forehead is. It's just going to override the signal. Your amygdala is going to react before you even have time to think about it. Why do our bodies have this mechanism? It's because it saved us in times of danger. For example, if somebody breaks into your house, okay, you hear a noise, first your muscles get tense and your breathing picks up, 
then you recognize why your muscles got tense. It's because that split second where you had the reaction in your body first could save your life. If you only reacted to stimuli after you thought about them, you could already be dead, okay? If a tiger was running at you, first your muscles are going to get tense and you're going to run, and then you're going to think about why you're running, okay? Emotional hijacking. Extremely useful for, for like, Surviving in the wild and dangerous places, okay? Also activated by not feeling safe. Remember, we talked about safety being so critical, okay? And creating connection and anger coming from not feeling safe. It goes down to our brains, guys, the way we function as human beings. If you create safety by inviting somebody to tell you how they feel in an open and honest way, that is the opposite of anger, the opposite of anger is safety, okay? If you make somebody feel safe, understood, like they know their situation, their environment, they have some control, they can do what they need, okay? They're going to feel safe. It's not going to provoke anger. So, this emotional hijacking, okay? We need to first deal with the driver before we deal with the passenger. So, let's say that someone's very, very angry, again, Okay, how do we calm down the driver? Well, remember that the driver is the emotional part of the brain. So the only way that we can get the car back on the road is if we talk to the driver, guys, through sharing emotion. So next time somebody's angry, imagine this car and think about how you can get to the driver. You can do it by creating a sense of safety and connecting on an emotional level. So you can say, Let's say that they say, "Ugh, I'm just so angry right now. I have to. I want to pull out my hair. Ugh, I I hate this. I hate you. It's it's hard. It's very hard to hear that if somebody tells you that. But you need to first help the car get back on the road, and then you can talk about how you feel. Okay. We're gonna say, "Oh my goodness, honey, I see that you're really upset right now. Um, I." And they're like, yeah, yes, I'm so upset, okay? Safety is communicating, ability to feel like you're heard and understood, okay? That's what we're doing right now. Instead of saying, remember, we talked about projection, how we don't actually see the world for what it is in the last episode, um, but we often see it based on our preconceived notions, the things that we project onto others. And we often project when we say things like you, Okay, you, and it starts with you, and then we label a person with something. When people are angry, they're looking primarily to express themselves, to vent. Remember, the pressure builds up and it explodes. We need to get the pressure out. By labeling people, we're covering the cracks that the pressure's coming out. We're, we're, we're preventing the pressure from leaving, and we're letting that anger linger for longer. Okay, so we don't want to label. We do this so, so often, but we don't want to do it in a situation like this. The best thing, we talked about this in the last episode, is use I statements. Just describe what you see, okay? Ugh, I'm so angry, I want to pull out my hair. Oh my goodness, honey. Honey, it, you look really upset. Yes, I'm so upset. Okay, now we're coming from a place of curiosity. Honey, just tell, tell me more. Like, what's wrong? I'm, I'm here. And then they go on. You do this, you do this. No, 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 I feel like this. And 
it's just, this is so hard for me. Just let them speak. Let them speak. Let the pressure come out. Just let them speak. Listen as if they know something that you don't. This listening can help you uncover amazing, amazing things about your partner, which are going to lead you to understand them better, to feel more comfortable around them and safe around them, and just to feel like you you know them, like you can love them more because you know them more. You have more things you know about. They're more familiar to you, okay? Then when they finish, you're going to help them keep venting and feel understood by repeating back what they told you in a respectful way. So let's say they say, I'm just so stressed. I feel like I'm working all the time and doing things around the house. I'm always having to clean something or cook something. And then I have my work and my clients and I have to get this new client, which I didn't get on. And everything's just been building up and I feel so stressed. And I feel like you don't even want to help me. Like you don't even care about me because I tell you that I'm stressed and you just you just stand there and and you you don't do anything. You just sit on the couch. I feel like you're like you're not doing your fair share around here. And it drives me crazy because I work so hard and I feel like I'm not appreciated enough here. Okay. You wait, let them pause, like let them finish, and then say something like Oh my goodness, honey, I'm so sorry that you feel like this. I'm so sorry that we have this situation here. It seems to me that you are really stressed because you feel not appreciated enough, like you have too much on your plate and there are people who aren't doing enough to help you and you really need other people's help. Is that true? And then they can say, yeah, that's true. And I need people to take out the garbage more. I need people to sweep. If there's dishes in the sink, I need them cleaned. And, you know, I'm stressed. I just, I have too much on my plate. Okay, honey, it seems to me... Uh, okay, honey, so you need people to, like, pick up their plates more, clean more, and just do more of their fair share so that you have more time, and we need to find a way for you to have less on your plate so that you can feel better, and, and like, you have space to breathe. Is that, is that right? Yes. Yes. That, you know, that, guys, that's what we're doing here. We're facilitating connection. Now, let's say that they're really mad because they accuse you of something. Like, you, they tell you, like, you know, you're this, you're this, you're this, and you really feel like those things aren't true, okay? The first thing you're going to do is get the car on the road, and then you can address that. But first, you want to get the car back on the road. I know it's hard. I know we feel in the moment like we have to, have to, have to deal with it now. It's not right that they call us that. It's not allowed. It's not okay. How dare they? You know, I do everything around here. They can't say that. Okay, it's hard. It's hard. But just, I'm telling you, there's always an hour from now. Okay, there's always tomorrow. We're going to get this out. We're not going to let it keep, we're not going to keep it in either because if we keep it in and we don't vent, we're going to explode too, okay? People are very, very predictable when it comes to anger and stress. We can use this and use research about this to help us deal with it better, okay? So first we let them vent, okay? And we just listen. We just listen. We repeat back. We understand. Then we're trying to calm them down. We say, can I, I want to help you calm down. What's something I can do to support you right now? People often know best what they need. If you're not sure what to do, just ask. Honey, 
I want to help you calm down. Like, I, I see that you're really stressed right now. I want to support you. What's something I can do to support you? Um, honey, I don't know. I need some space. Okay, go have some space. Honey, I need you to hold me. Can you hold me? Okay, sure. I don't know, honey. Okay, honey, can I hold you? Do you want to, like, can we cuddle? Uh, okay, sure. Or like, honey, I see that you're stressed. I want to make dinner tonight. Is it okay if I make dinner? Yeah, sure. Thank you for offering. I'm going to go to my room and I need some space. Okay, honey, sure. You do that. Or like, um, go for. you want to go for a walk? Uh, everything will be ready when you come back. Okay, thank you. Okay, they calm down. Guys, by helping people calm down when they're angry, we're actually getting points. We're like getting social points in their eyes. They're going to be like, wow, like they helped me calm down when I was angry and they listened to me and they gave me everything that I needed. So now I'm going to help them when they're upset or I'm going to respect them more because they care. Okay. But remember, we don't want to let things hold inside of us either, but we're just going to bring them out at the right time. So after our partner calms down, maybe later that evening, we can say, honey, I, okay, so like the, the car got back on the road. The driver has the car in check. Now we can talk to the passenger. Okay. So now we, when, when the car's back on the road, we tell the passenger, the logical part of the brain, honey, like, I honestly feel it didn't make sense. Like the things that you said about me, I think that you misunderstand you know, I work really hard. I get that it bothers you that I'm, you think that I'm not doing enough in the house, but I just want you to know, like, I'm, I'm trying. I'm not lazy. Like, you, you, tell, you told me that I'm lazy, but I don't think I'm lazy. I work really hard. It's just that I have so much on my plate sometimes, too, from work. You know, I have a lot of clients. I have a lot of tasks. I get really stressed. And sometimes when I come home, I just want to take a break, okay? Like, I just want to relax for a bit. My work is really, really stressful. I'm not lazy. Like, I just need space. Like, like you need your space. I need my space. Okay. Like, I'm sorry that it's not always clean when, when you want it to be clean, but just know that like, like I need my space too. Is it okay if I can just sit down and watch TV for 15 minutes when I come home? Guys, it's okay to say that. It is okay to say that. Just not when your partner is very aggravated and upset because you're trying to talk to the passenger while the driver is going off road. First, get the car back on the road. Okay. Then deal with the passenger. Then your partner's going to say something like, you know what? Actually, you're right. Like, I didn't even think about that. I'm sorry. I was just really upset. When I'm really upset, I can't think straight. And I'm sorry for what I said. But yeah, it is just really important to me that we find a way to get this house more in order. It really bothers me. I know it doesn't bother you so much, but like, it really bothers me when there are crumbs on the floor. Okay, like, like, that's okay. Now you can compromise. What you're doing here is you're setting new limits. So you can tell your partner, remember our limits conversation? Everything is coming together on this show, guys, from all the episodes. So it's so important that you, you listen to the other ones too. Um, the, the, sorry, the episode on, on limits. So you're going to say, honey, it seems to me that it's really important to you that the house is kept clean. I want us to make a plan to ensure that it can be the way you want it to be. And then they're going to say, okay. Yeah, that's a great idea. Now, what, guys, remember, limits, remember, you know this, you know this already. What's going to make that plan really effective? If the limit is clear, consistently enforced, and well advertised. So we're going to make a clear limit. We're going to say, honey, let's make this very clear. What exactly do you want the house to look like? They're going to say, okay, I am, 
I want people to sweep if they spill something on the floor. Okay, like I don't like it when there's crumbs on the floor. Okay, write that down, write that down. Floor, sweep, clean, no crumbs. Okay, next. I don't like it when the counters are sticky or there are crumbs or things on the counter. It really bothers me when there's like food on the counter. Okay, write that down. You know, like like clean counter, no food on the counter kind of thing. We have spray, we have the paper towel, it takes two seconds. You know, I just wish people would do it. That's great. Okay, next thing. It really bothers me when people wear their shoes in the house and it brings mud into the house. I work so hard to keep it clean and I don't like it when it's there. Good, write that down, write that down. We're getting to the heart of what it means to keep the house clean. If people just say, I want to clean, guys, it's not a clear limit. Okay, it's not going to work. I'm telling you right now, it's not going to work. So we're going to just keep getting to the heart of the issue. Okay, is there anything else? Um, yes, I don't like it when the kids don't, um, make their beds in the morning. Like, I, I know that to them, like, it doesn't really matter. But to me, like, I was always raised in a house where the beds were made. And it just feels better to me when the beds are made. I just don't feel comfortable. Like, I feel like we're in a dirty house. Okay, beds made. Write it down. Okay? Anything else? Um... Yes, dishwasher, when the dishwasher's full, unloaded. Okay, write it down, write it down. Write this all down, guys. This is all excellent stuff, okay? You have a very clear understanding now, the first part, clear of what caused the fight, okay? It's that limit is not being met. We're going to establish the limit. We can't always expect people to establish their limits in advance because sometimes they don't know their limits. It takes a lot of introspection and work and self-discovery to identify what your limits are. But once... Once you do that, okay, maybe it takes a fight to get there. Remember, if a fight happens, you want to be curious. You want to think about what caused the fight. Like Indiana Jones, okay? There's a lot of, like, work involved in getting the treasure. But once you get the treasure, it is amazing. The treasure is, like, a beautiful relationship with your partner, okay? And remember also, guys, stages of a relationship, we have maintenance. Our partners are changing. Our situations are changing. We are changing, and that is okay. That's why we have maintenance. We are discovering what is causing fights, we're discovering our partner's needs so that we can better serve them and be happier and more effective together. Okay, so your partner is going to make the requests. If you already married them and you've, you know, you've been together with them for a long time, I'm sure they're like a reasonable person and the requests aren't too crazy. Um, if they are, though, if you really think that they're crazy, you can accommodate, okay? You're a team, two people. You've got you to work together, so you tell them. Honey, like, I... I think that this is too much. Like, you say that you want the floor sweeped every time somebody eats. Like, it's too much. Can we just sweep it, like, once in the evening every day? And then maybe they'll say no. And maybe they'll say, okay, fine, you know? But if, if they say no, you can be like, I think it's just a lot to ask. Maybe, you know, like, it's inefficient. Why don't people just sweep after? And then they'll be like, Honey, you know, and just judge if they're like, it's really important to me. It has to, has to, has to be this way. I can't give it, I can't give this up. You know, like, don't judge them, okay? Like, it's not the end of the world. Like, just suck it up for a bit. They'll love you more after it and you'll feel good about it. It's like a, it's like a win-win. Like, a lot of people don't like doing housework, but their partners love it when they do housework, okay? Like, it's a pain to sweep the floor. I get it. It's a pain. You don't feel like doing it. But once you do it, the love you're going to get from your partner, like, they're going to be so happy. They're going to be like, honey, what can I do from you for you? I'm so happy. Like, I, and they're going to smile a lot and you're just going to feel better, okay? But just figure it out. Make that list, okay? So first step, clear. Next, consistently enforced. Every time there is something not according to that list and it's not an emergency, you got to enforce it, okay? Like, 
like, let's say the kids aren't doing it. This is really common in parenting. Parents let things go and then the kids keep doing them. And then the parent like gets mad at the kid for not doing it. But like, how's the kid supposed to know if you let it go all the other times? Okay. It's like the speed limit. If you don't put a speed limit sign, like, and you only put it like once every 20 kilometers and like sometimes people speed and they don't get caught. People are just going to assume speeding is okay. Okay. Like, you know this, okay. It's not a perfect world, but it's just how it works. So once you know this, it's going to, it's going to help you. It's going to make it easier. So, um, with that, so consistently enforced every time something on the list isn't being met, you got to point it out. There were crumbs on the counter. Um, we need the counters to be clean as part of the limit. Okay. Super. Just point it out. Eventually the kids are going to get it. You're going to get it. The counters are going to start being clean. Okay. Next, well advertised. The limit has to be well advertised. People need to know and need to be continuously reminded of what the limit is, what the expectations are. Now, it's super annoying for you to repeat yourself. I know it's so annoying. And it's super annoying to have something repeated back to you. There's a magical solution that was invented 2,000 years ago. Okay? Maybe longer, maybe a bit shorter. I'm not actually certain. But it is writing. Writing is a beautiful invention because you can have things repeated many, many times without actually repeating them, okay? You make a sign, you know, expectations, and you put the, those things that you expect done. Counters clean, floors sweeped. At this, you have to be clear. Floors sweeped if you see there's a mess or every evening kind of thing at eight o'clock after dinner. Um, whoever didn't set the table has to sweep the floor. Boom. Guys, good, good, that's awesome. Bed set. By 8 a.m., all beds need to be set. Um, we recommend you do it as soon as you get out of bed. Guys, good, good. Well advertised. That way, every time somebody has a question, they can just look at the wall. They get a reminder every day. That is a well advertised limit. And that is going to prevent these kinds of things from happening again. Okay? Clear, consistently enforced, and well advertised. If you follow these tactics, okay, you're, and you remember to keep the car on the road first, rescue, get the car back, then tell them what you were thinking. Tell, like, you know, stand up for yourself. Say your side. It is going to make it much easier. You need to first get the car on the road. Then you can actually deal with the situation a little bit more. But you can't do anything while the car is going off-road. We can get mad at our partners for them taking their car off-road. But it just happens sometimes. And that's life. And, and you know, this is just the way it works. So we need to first get them back on the road. Then we can have the discussion. Remember, we need to also express where we're coming from or that pressure is just going to build, 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 and it's going to lead to another fight from us. And we don't want to get there, okay? So with that, I'm just going to summarize everything up and wrap it up because we are running out of time. But in the next episode, we'll talk about conflict resolution a little bit more, and I'll give you some other examples. Um, I'll also talk to you about an example when somebody's drowning, Okay, and what do you do when they're drowning? Uh, the, the first rescue, we're going to explain that a little bit more. And then we're going to talk more about things like uh, defending ourselves, denying when events happened, okay, taking in other people's um, blame, like how or criticism, how this can be harmful, how to deal with it. Um, and we'll learn a little bit more tools for diffusing conflict. Um, we're focusing on this right now because it's so important um, and exists in all relationships, but uh, we're going to share a story in the next podcast too that shows you that conflict can 
have very long lasting effects. So, I mean, we can overcome them and there's strategies to overcome them, which we'll talk about too later in the show. But if we can prevent them in the first place, it's going to save us pain. It's going to make things easier and just, we're going to feel much closer to our partners. So thank you so, so much for listening to this episode where we talked all about conflict resolution. We elaborated on how we can set limits to prevent fights from happening and deal with them if they already um, arose. We learned about the consciousness car, an idea that we experience the world primarily through emotions and that when we are angry, we need to deal with those emotions first, first get the car on the road, and then we can deal with the passenger, which is the logical part of the brain, the logical part of the car. You cannot talk to the passenger guys, logic and reason, if the person feels like, like, they're, like they're losing it, okay? Losing it, losing the car, okay? Think of it like this. Now, how do we get the car back? We create, connect on an emotional level. We remind them that we're here with them. Okay, they're okay. It's, it's going to be okay. We're listening. Um, we're there. You can say, I'm with you. I care. I'm here with you. And we're going to figure this out. Okay, that's like a really empowering thing. You want to show people that they're safe because anger often comes out of safety, a sense of not feeling safe. Okay, and also we talked about venting how anger is pressure, pressure, pressure building up over two weeks, we can create safe spaces for that pressure to be released through asking questions like, how's your love tank? How am I treating you with respect to your limits? Okay, we explored limits a little bit more. And we also applied this venting concept to conflict as it's happening. So if your partner is venting, guys, if they're angry and they're letting off a lot of steam, Guys, we have, like, there's a reason why we call it letting off steam, okay? Like, they're, like, because that's what it's like. It's like, it's like recognized in society across all people. We need to give them the chance to get the pressure down before we can continue, okay? When we label them, it's like covering up the crack that's trying to let off pressure. If we say, you're so lazy, you're so na-na-na, it's not going to work for us. It's just going to make the explosion happen faster. Okay, that's not what we want. We don't want a big explosion. It's going to make a bigger explosion and it's going to cause more problems for us. It's not what we want. We want to let out that steam by allowing them, by being curious, by saying them something like, honey, like, so this is what you feel. Like, do I have it right? Oh my goodness, that must be so hard. Tell me more. Okay, like all these kinds of things that we talked about. I'm listening. I want to help. What can I do to help you? Okay, these are all tools that we can use to encourage this venting, get things back to normal, and then understand, guys. Remember, I want you to be like an investigator. I want you to understand what happened and, and try, like, figure it out. Write things down so you can discover the limit that was breached or discover the soft spot or whatever caused that conflict. We talked about soft, spot in a, soft spots in a previous episode um, because it's going to help you understand your partner more. I don't want you to promote conflict with your partner, okay? I want you to prevent conflict, but not by keeping things in, by communicating things before they get to conflict level, okay? If you just keep everything in, it's going to build up inside you and it's going to make the situation even worse. But if we create opportunities to connect, okay, outside of conflict, it's going to make less need, less demand for conflict to fill up that void for communication and for connection. Thank you so, so much for listening to the show. I'm so happy that you stuck with us to the end. I hope that you found this really, really meaningful and interesting. I hope that you'll be able to apply it to your relationship. 
let us know your thoughts. Send me an email. Contact at learnedlove.ca. I'd love to hear your thoughts, what you think about this. Um, I'm so, so excited to hear your feedback. If there's anything specific that you want to see on the show, let us know also. Um, and we'd love to produce that for you. In the meanwhile, check out our website, learnedlove.ca, for lots more all about us and what we do. Check out our infographics there on our blog. And we have some videos coming soon. We're producing now for Udemy, but soon we'll also share some other content on YouTube. I'm so, so excited uh, that you're on this journey with us to learn and to be more effective in relationships. It doesn't have to end badly. Okay, we're all about helping you stay together. Love is hard sometimes. It can be so, so hard, but it doesn't have to be. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode and this learning journey together. And I cannot wait to welcome you back in the next episode where we talk more about tools to deal with conflict. Thank you so much for listening.